1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm just going to read through uh, verses 1 through 11 before we get into this text here this morning. Thought we'll go right through it. One shot here. It says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third dead, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of, than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is, within, that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we just thank you that we can come uh, to your word. And again, Lord, we, we love the written word because it leads us to you, the living word. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are living, alive and well, seated on your throne in heaven, and yet living and dwelling in our hearts. Seated in heaven, and yet your word tells us you walk in the midst of your church. And so, Jesus, we welcome you here this morning. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you just touch each one of our hearts this morning, that we would be drawn closer to you, that we would be reminded of the truths of the gospel and of your crucifixion and your burial and your resurrection this morning. Jesus, we ask your blessing upon the word, your name. Amen. Amen. So verse 1 and 2 again, he says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This morning, I just thought we'd do what we should do on Easter, is just go over the gospel. Remind ourselves of the truth of the resurrection. The word gospel means good news. Because that's what the message of Jesus is. It's a story of good news for mankind. And we're going to see that, that Paul says this message of the gospel relies on certain facts. The important part of the gospel message is the fact of Jesus' crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. And in reality, the crucifixion hinges on the resurrection. You can't have one without the other. You need them both, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And it's important to know as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead this morning, that the message of the gospel is based on facts. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a set of religious creeds or ideas. The gospel is not theory. The gospel, in fact, is not even by definition really a religion. 
The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is built on facts and they're not things that are subjective. It means that the gospel is not some biased story. It's not slanted. It's not prejudice. The gospel of Jesus Christ is based on his objective facts as we're going to see from this text this morning. Uh, They're observable. You can weigh them and consider them and come to your own conclusion about them. Now, Paul says this, that he wanted to remind this church about the gospel that he had preached to them. And the reason that he wants to remind them is because we need to know the benefits of the gospel. We should never forget those simple benefits of the gospel. You know, how does the gospel benefit us? Well, Paul simply says this, it saves us. The gospel saves us. He says, remember when I preached to you and you received the gospel, you accepted it, you believed it, you embraced it. Now, now this group of people to whom he's writing were kind of like us. They're not people who had all their stuff together. Not perfect. Marcus, is, he's not here this morning, so I'm going to tell a little story on little Lucas Johansson who uses this line in his house all the time when he's getting, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect as the discipline's coming down in the Johansson house. I'm not perfect, dad. (laughs) These guys were not perfect like us. They didn't have their lives all sorted out. I mean, Corinth was a party town. In the Roman Empire, it was their version of Vegas, okay? What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And the folks in the church that had lived in that culture and were a part of that culture and received the message of Jesus had the residue of the old life on them, the residue of the flesh. And like us, you know, strife in their personal lives, factions amongst them, some of them still struggling with immorality, some of them just plain weird as you read the writings of Paul. Kind of like us. Some of us are just plain weird. Don't look at the person next to you. But it was because they're people like you and I. Real people. I just saw a couple exchange a kiss over there. (laughs) Devin, Steve, that was awesome. (laughs) These were real people to who Paul was writing to. People who had taken a stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like you and like me. They needed to be reminded of the simple facts on a regular basis. And Paul says, you know, I preach these things to you. You receive them. You you stand on them. You, You took a stand. You weighed these things. You considered it. And you opened wide your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let me remind you. Because you need to firmly hold to that which you have weighed with your heart. You need to firmly hold to that which you have opened your heart to. Hold to Jesus because he's going to save you. You know, something cool about what Paul says here in these opening verses is this, is that the gospel is not just something that deals with our past, but it's something for our present and not just our present. It holds something for us in the future as well. You need to take the message of Jesus seriously because Jesus isn't just for the past. In fact, verse two begins with literally the words, you are being saved. Salvation is a present experience. Today is the day of salvation. Yesterday was the day of salvation and today is the day of salvation. 
And for us, tomorrow will be the day of salvation because the mercies of Christ will be new to us tomorrow morning. See, the gospel holds something for yesterday and today, and it holds something for us tomorrow as well. And you know, there are things in this life that can distract us from hanging on to Jesus. Maybe you're in a time like that, or maybe in the past you've been through a time like that. So Paul says this, I'm going to remind you about his death, and I'm going to remind you about his resurrection from the dead. You know that we only retain like 10% of what we hear? What you, I, I just know that, okay? I, I know that every Sunday morning, if I really knock her out of the park, you might walk away with 10%. <laughs> Men, your wives know that your retention is much lower than 10%. That's why they like repeat things, repeat things, repeat things. And so Paul's going to use that tactic. He's not nagging, but he's reminding that the gospel is an anchor and we need to hold to the anchor. Verse 3 says this. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance of the scriptures. So Paul says this, what, what I'm about to tell you is of first importance. It's of first importance, not just important. It's of first importance. This, what we're about to talk about, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes before all other things in this life. Before family, before marriage, before your kids, before your work life, before anything, this matters more. These facts are more important to you than anything. They're of first importance because they will bring order to the rest of your life. You know, I, I guess the question is maybe, as I read that text, who made up the gospel? As Paul says, I'm going to pass these things on to you. Who made them up? Well, Paul's saying this, look, this isn't something I made up. This isn't, you know, something I invented. I'm passing on to you that which I have personally received and experienced. I am passing on to you a personal life-changing encounter that I had in my own heart, in my life, and I want to share it to you. So he's, he's reminding, I didn't create this. This isn't my invention. Dragon's Den didn't fund this. This is not an invention. An invention, As we know from the, the story of Paul, he was on the road to Damascus, traveling there, seeking out followers of Jesus Christ to arrest them, to imprison them, to confront them. Paul didn't even know that Jesus was alive. When he met Jesus and he was knocked off that horse and he had this vision, he had to say, who are you? Because he didn't know who it was. And Jesus revealed himself and Paul was convinced because he saw the living Lord that he had been raised from the dead. He, he had committed his life. Prior to this, he had committed his life to stopping what he believed was to be a hoax. To, believe, to, to stop what he believed to be this messianic imposter, Jesus. But then he met him on that road. And he didn't concoct the gospel it wasn't an invention of his own imagination or mind, but he received it from Jesus personally. So what is the gospel? What is the good news? These simple things that we need to be reminded of. 
What is the message so important that we should never forget and never stop holding on to? Three simple things. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised to life according to the scriptures. That's it. That's the gospel. That's the facts. And when we place our faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he saves us from the penalty of sin. He gives us abundant life for today. He gives us eternal life. He gives us the gift of salvation. And if you remove any one of those three statements of the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no gospel without any of those. And so they're more, you know, those those three statements are, are more than insightful teaching. They're more than good advice. At the core of the gospel is real events that happen with a real person and they are historical facts. Jesus died for you and me. He was buried and he rose again. That is good news. And what's good about it is this, is that the gospel does not tell me what I need to do. The gospel tells me what Jesus Christ did for me. And all I need to do is receive it. See, Jesus died. For our sins, according to the scriptures. On that cross in Jerusalem, the Roman government executed him. The crowd screamed, let his blood be on us and on our children. History, tradition, historical literature, scripture supports the fact that Jesus died. But, but his death was not without purpose. We know that because he died for our sins. There was a spiritual transaction that took place on that cross in Jerusalem. As he hung there. As he hung there, God the Father placed on Jesus all, his, all the guilt and wrath that our sin deserved. He was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. Nothing in Jesus that warranted that. But as the beloved son of God. He took upon him the weight and the guilt of our sin. And he bore our punishment. In his body. On that tree as he hung there. And he satisfied the wrath of his father against sin. And he shed his blood. He died. And we know that the responsibility of his death is actually on us. You know, the fact that the Messiah, Jesus, would die for our sins is very clear from the scripture. Front to back, Genesis to Revelation. It was, it was prophesied. You think of some of the Old Testament uh, scriptures that tell us about what was going to happen with Jesus. I'll list off a few. Psalm 69 tells us about how he would be offered wine vinegar as he hung on the cross. Isaiah 50 foretells that Jesus would be spat on and that his Beard would be plucked out and that he would be hit in the face. Isaiah 52 and 53 tell us how he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Daniel chapter 9 verse 26 prophesies how the anointed would be cut off. Zechariah chapter 13 says that the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. Hosea chapter 6 says that he'll be dead for two, that he'll be Dead for two days and raised up on the third. Psalm 22 with great description describes the crucifixion and Jesus' death in detail. That's just a view, you know. And all those things written 500, 1,000 years 
in that range, 500 to 1,000 years prior to Jesus. See, everything that happened to Jesus happened according to what the scriptures had prophesied. And he was buried. That's an important fact to the gospel. His followers, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and the others who saw him crucified and knew him personally. They knew that it was Jesus. They knew that, it, well, they took his body and they, they buried him. And it's important that the scriptures tell us that and clearly uh, describe that about his disciples and the women who followed him and how they saw where his body was laid. It's, in, it's important that a, that a unit of Roman soldiers was placed in front of that tomb and were instructed to guard it. It tells us that Jesus did not disappear. His body was not misplaced. His tomb was so clearly marked that Rome put their seal on it. There was no mistake, no mishap. Jesus really died and he was really buried. But he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. See, the, the resurrection, it, it's essential to the message of the gospel. And Paul says later in this chapter that, that, if, that if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then my preaching to you is useless. And so is your faith. And in fact, what we're doing this morning is totally vain and pointless and empty if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. We're fools if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, your, your faith is useless and you're still lost in your sins. And we should be pitied by all men. But he did rise from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus is the, you know, I would say this. It's the receipt that proves the transaction that happened on Friday. It's the receipt that proves that the transaction took place on the cross. It's the proof that the perfect son of God made the perfect payment for our sins and for the sins of the world. And sin was defeated, but sin was not defeated without a resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. There's a number of proofs. Well, the tomb is empty. That's one. The tomb is empty. Just produces bones. That would fix our wagons. Of course, there's different rumors and stories out there that well, people that claim they've produced the bones of Jesus. Not true. There are no bones to produce because the tomb is empty. There's nothing like going to Jerusalem and visiting the garden tomb where they believe quite likely Jesus had been buried and where his body had been place, placed. Been in there a couple times. It's empty. It's still empty. There's no body. That's proof of the resurrection. The church is proof of the resurrection. Think of the disciples. You know, if Jesus were dead, Peter and the boys, they may have gone back to, they may as well have gone back to fishing. When they returned to Galilee, I imagine that their friends and their family thought, well, I guess those boys will just go back to what they know. They'll, they'll go and they'll start fishing. And they did for a short time. And then the resurrected Jesus came and visited them in Galilee. The fact that Jesus has, was raised from the dead transformed the hearts and lives of these men that to such a degree that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they turned the world upside down through the preaching of the gospel in their lifetime. Every one of the 12, minus Judas, of course, every one 
of the 12, except for John, the, John died as a martyr for what they believed and for the experience they had with Jesus Christ, preaching their faith and preaching the gospel of Jesus. They laid down their lives. And the result was that the church was born. See, we are proof that Jesus rose from the dead. You can't even explain what's happening here this morning outside of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So Paul says to this, this church to whom he writes, you, you heard the gospel, you believed it, you stand on it, and the message of Jesus has saved you. In other words, you yourselves are proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there's the scriptures. He was raised to the dead from the dead according to the scriptures. Psalm 16, you will not abandon your holy one to the grave. His body will not see decay. Hosea chapter six, on the third day, he will be restored. Psalm 22 alludes to the resurrection of Jesus. There's the story of Jonah. Of course, Jesus himself pointed to that story and said that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the son of man will be restored after three days. There's that great story from Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham took his son Isaac and there's this clear picture of Isaac essentially being raised from the dead. Abraham was instructed by the Lord to offer his son Isaac on Mount Moriah as a sacrifice to the Lord. And so Abraham and Isaac, they traveled to Mount Moriah. Uh, they took their servants with them and at the bottom of the mountain, the scripture tells us and in Genesis chapter 22 that Abraham left his servants behind and he said to them, we will go and sacrifice and we will come back to you. In faith, he did what the Lord called him to do and they went to the top of that mountain and everything was in order. The altar was built. There was fire. There was wood. And Isaac saw it all there and then said, hey dad, what about the sacrifice? And you know the story. Abraham answered his son, God himself will provide a lamb. And God did. His son Jesus. And Mount Moriah today is that very place where Jesus, in Jerusalem, where Jesus himself was crucified, where he was offered God's one and only son as a sacrifice for the sin of mankind. God provided for himself a sacrifice. See, the Old Testament just reveals that Jesus would be raised from the dead in all sorts of spots. Sometimes it's obscure and it's hard to see. But there's neat ones. I want to point one out to you. One that I think is so cool. It's in Leviticus chapter 14. I'll tell you what happens. Leviticus 14 gives a description of how a person needs to be cleansed from leprosy. What the offering is, is that they should bring. When a person was cleansed of leprosy, like you and I have been cleansed of sin, what they were called to do was to bring two birds and some, a number of other things that were to be offered by the priest. One of the birds would be killed over a pot of fresh water, a clay pot filled with water, and they would wring that bird's neck and they would let the blood go into the, to the water. The other bird was taken alive along with a piece of cedar wood and a piece of hyssop and some scarlet yarn and they would dip that bird in the water and the blood of the clay pot. Now get the picture, clay pots, we're clay pots, right? It holds something within. 
There's water and blood like pierced that came from Jesus' side. The bird wrapped in scarlet yarn, red yarn actually it says, picturing his blood. The wood picturing the cross. The hyssop like Jesus was offered as he hung on the cross and that bird was dipped in it and then released and flew off. A picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in Leviticus chapter 14. There's the empty tomb. There's the church. There's the the Old Testament references. But the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is also a a fact by those who witnessed it themselves. Look at verse 5. Then he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter. Then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You know, Jesus appeared to Cephas, Peter. You know, we really don't know much about that meeting between Peter and Jesus. The scripture just alludes to it a couple times. That they had a private one. A, a one-on-one, just the two of them. Which I think is, is just awesome as you think about you know, what happened with Peter in the last 12 hours, the last day before Jesus died, you know, every, everything Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to him. He promised that he would never deny Jesus, and yet he did deny him three times. He attempted to kill a man in the Garden of Gethsemane, even screwed that up. His life was in shambles and messing it up. He cut that guy's ear off and denied Jesus. So just imagine... Peter and his one-on-one meeting with Jesus, how emotional that would have been for him. The big burly fisherman who had blown it and yet who was restored by Jesus. Peter saw him. Jesus also appeared to the 12. Obviously the disciples minus Judas. It's, uh, that probably refers, I would think, you know, to the first meeting that Jesus had with the 12 after his resurrection as it's recorded in Matthew, as it's recorded in Mark, as it's recorded in Luke. Jesus appeared to more than 500 at the same time. That story isn't detailed in the scriptures, but it's mentioned in the gospel of Matthew. And Paul says this, look, most of the 500 are still alive. Some of them have fallen asleep because that's what happens to believers who receive Jesus Christ. Death has been defeated. It has no more sting. We just fall asleep and go into the presence of the Lord. 500 people saw him on one occasion. A historical uh, fact, evidence that demands that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Reliable, confirmed, historical eyewitnesses. 500 people. Jesus appeared to James. We know who James was. James was his half-brother. Not James the disciple, but James his half-brother. You remember him? Mark chapter 3 tells us that at one point during Jesus' ministry early on, when the crowds began to follow him and they began to recognize who he was, that, that not even Jesus' mother and his brothers Jude, Simon, and James believed in him. And so the four of them came thinking Jesus to be out of his mind to take him back. And they thought he was nuts. 
How did James go from thinking that Jesus was nuts to becoming one of the most prominent leaders in the early church to writing a book that we, a letter that we have in our Bible, the book of James. How did he go to the point where he died himself as a martyr for his half brother, Jesus? Something happened to that man, a radical change. Some, that something was this. He saw the resurrected Jesus and James confessed his half brother to be his Lord. He saw him for who he really was, the son of God. Jesus also appeared to all the apostles. Several different meetings the, the scriptures tell us about. And some of them are described with great detail, but also the, the scripture just says he was with them for 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And I guess that would be pretty cool <laughs> to watch that happen or to put your hand in his side or to put your finger in the nail holes in his hand or to sit and eat with him or to have him cook you food like the scripture records that he did. How he spoke words of comfort and peace to them and then commanded them to go and preach the gospel in all the world. Jesus appeared to all the apostles. And Paul says he also appeared to me as one untimely born. Paul himself saw the resurrected Jesus. And that's, that's an amazing thing because Paul was not a follower of Jesus Christ. He was a man convinced that Jesus was dead. So convinced that he made it his life mission to hunt down and to persecute those who followed Jesus Christ. But Paul saw the living Jesus and there was a radical change in the direction of his life. His whole purpose for living changed. He flopped from being the persecutor of Jesus followers to becoming one of the most influential men in history. Wrote 13 books in our Bible. When you examine and consider the testimony of all these witnesses, it's pretty overwhelming. When you just think about all the facts and, and the stories of these witnesses, not only did these people see the resurrected Jesus, but seeing him turned their lives around and gave them a mission and a direction uh, to live for. It had a profound effect on the way that they lived their lives and the rest of their lives. And Paul doesn't even take into account the, all sorts of other witnesses he could call on. The different women who saw Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of, uh, Mary's mother, Salome, Mary the mother of James. The fact is, is that Jesus was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. So Paul says this in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See, Paul understood this about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it was purely an act of grace towards him. And purely an act of grace towards anyone who receives Jesus Christ. That the cross and his burial and his resurrection are the story of God's unmerited favor for you and for me. And the longer Paul lived for Jesus, the more acutely aware he became of his own sin. Especially in the light 
of who Jesus was. The more he knew Jesus, the more he recognized his need for the grace of Jesus. That's why he said this, I am the least. I am small. I am insignificant and not deserving of attention or respect. Give it to Jesus. You know, one time Paul thought so highly of himself, Pharisee and all the things that he was, but now he realized that everything he had was because of Jesus. Do you realize that for your own life, that everything you have is because of God's goodness to you? The unmerited favor of God that has been extended to you? And God wants to give you this, if you don't have it as well, his salvation, the forgiveness of sins. God in his grace, Jesus in his grace. You know, as I was thinking about this, it just reminds me of that story of the woman who was caught in adultery from, from the gospels. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the leaders, whoever trying to trap Jesus had found a woman caught in adultery and uh, they brought her before Jesus and they said, Jesus, the law demands that we stone this, this woman to death because of her sin. What should we do? <laughs> trying to trap Jesus. And you know the story. Jesus bent down and with his finger began to right in the sand and don't know what he began to write, but then he stood up and he said this, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, starting with the oldest of the men to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away because those men realized what is true for all of us, that we all sin. We all sin. And we all need to know this this morning and be reminded of it, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, but that God raised him from the dead according to the scriptures. In verse 11, Paul says this, whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believed. Paul says this, this is what we preach. Church, this is our message. This is the gospel message. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised to life. This is important because this is the gospel. It is good news that Jesus died on the cross for us and that he's been raised to life. That he didn't disappear into the pages of history. He rose again. He's alive. The tomb is empty and it's not a theory. It's not just an idea. It's a, a historical fact. And the gospel consists of objective facts. And so Paul says this, we preached it and you believed it. See, it's evidence that demands a verdict. It demands this from us as we hear these facts. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do? See, there's a proper response to the gospel the gospel comes with a certain demand for the heart of mankind. But because it's done as an act of God's grace and an act of God's love, God leaves us the opportunity to respond or to not respond, to choose or to not choose. 
See the gospel and the message of Jesus and Jesus Christ himself must be received. And we must take a stand upon it. And then we must firmly hold to Jesus Christ. See the test of our faith's reality is this continuance, holding on to the anchor that cannot be moved. You know, this morning, we, we didn't do a sunrise service this year. Did you miss that? I missed that. We'll do it next year. Didn't happen this year. Done the last two years at Gospel Rock. But um, did anybody go to Gospel Rock this morning? Did you guys go? Somebody told me they were, I'm going anyways. I don't care you're not doing one. So that's great. Go, do it. Um, anyways, I got up this morning and I came down and sat on the breakwater down here to watch the sun come up and um, took some time to just read the gospel accounts and the stories of Jesus' resurrection. And you know, there was, as you read that, as you read those stories, there's one obstacle that people had to overcome as they were faced with the reality of the resurrection. One obstacle. It was one obstacle for the women, one obstacle for those men, and the obstacle was this, unbelief. Unbelief. See, the disciples didn't believe at first as they heard. And this morning, maybe... You've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ ever. I want to encourage you. Do not be slow of heart in unbelief. Believe. The Lord Jesus extends to you his grace. The promise of abundant and eternal life. The promise of knowing that your sins can be forgiven. His word says this in Revelation 3.20. Talking, talking about our hearts. Jesus said this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Open your heart to Jesus. Dear Christian, open your heart to Jesus this Resurrection Sunday. The physical evidence is there. Let your heart lead your mind as you hear about the facts of the gospel and open your heart and surrender your heart to him. You know, Jesus said this. His invitation was this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's saying this, partner with me. Attach yourself to me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See this? This simple gospel message, it's of first importance. Everything else is second. Everything else is second in this life. Let's pray this morning. Worship team, come on up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these facts. We thank you, Lord, that they're realities. We thank you, Lord, that they're truth. We thank you, Lord, that we can weigh these things and consider them. And we can invite you to come into our heart and into our lives. I thank you, Jesus, that 
the benefits of your death and resurrection are extended to us. I thank you, Jesus, that on that cross, when your blood was shed, you shed it for my sin and for the sin of each one here. And I thank you, Lord, that your resurrection is the receipt that confirms that that transaction happened. So this morning, Lord, as we rejoice in your resurrection, we open wide our hearts to you. To you this morning, we come, Jesus, in faith. We invite you in. We pray, Jesus, that pursuing you and living for you would be of first importance for us. We pray, Jesus, that you would help us to work these things out with fear and trembling. And I pray, Lord, for any here this morning who has never invited you into their heart and life, I pray, God, that in their heart, they would open up to the reality of who you are and to invite you in. And to invite you in.